glad that you're with us this morning. I want to extend a special welcome to each of our guests. If you may be joining us for the very first time, we're just glad that you're with us. Those of our church family, just want you to know that our elders have been praying for you. We're concerned about what's going on. We haven't been able to see most of you. We miss you. And I personally have been praying and thinking about the members of our flock and concerned that uh, they're doing okay. If you have a need or a concern or a question, please don't hesitate to contact us. And you can do that if you go to our website, www.creeksidedm.com, and you'll be able to contact us, or you might know our uh, email address already. Let us know. We have several folks who have generously offered to provide goods and services for people. And if you have a need, please let us know that. We'd sure appreciate it. I was reading this morning in Philippians chapter 4 and Paul talking about being able to find contentment. He said, I learned to be content in every circumstance, in any and every circumstance. And he shares with us the secret of that contentment, which is in Christ. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so it's our prayer that you would find strength in the person and the work of Jesus as we go through these unprecedented times that none of us have ever lived through before. And we're encouraged that you're joining with us and pray that you will continue to find faithfulness and fruit in your walk with Jesus. Uh, I have several announcements that I bring to your attention this morning as we get started. First of all, at the end of the service, we are going to celebrate communion. So if you don't have bread or crackers and some juice and you'd like to join us with that, you certainly could get up right now Maybe you have to take the blanket off, get out of bed, or whatever the situation is, but you can uh, find some juice and some crackers or some bread. At the end of the service, we'll celebrate communion. We're uh, glad to do that, excited about that way that we can share as a body together. Also, I want to remind you that tonight we will be having an online prayer time. There will be information coming out for our regular church family, and on our website, you'll get an email if you're a part of our regular email uh, list and you'll look online and you'll be able to connect with us and we're going to be sharing a time of prayer again online but hope you can join us if you have any problems or questions about that i'd encourage you to contact uh, mike johnson or alan Krim. you can find their contact information i believe on our website so please do that and give them a call thirdly i'd like to mention that our deacons have been working on ways to give you a chance to give even though you're not able to come and, and put money in the offering plate. So there are three different ways that uh, they have designed and set that you could give. These have been sent out in an email to a regular church family. I'm just going to re reiterate them here and then you can check your email later if you haven't seen it already. First of all, you can send a check to the church. Uh, secondly, uh, you can set up a bill pay with your bank and you might need to talk to them about that if you don't understand how to do that. But basically, they'll either direct deposit to our account or else they'll send a check. And it'll come out and can come out as an automatic withdrawal. So you can set it up that way. And finally, uh, we have uh, set up or the deacons have set up uh, opportunity for you to give online with Tithely. Uh, you can check it out again. I'm not going to give you all the details here, but you would upload that app to your phone or your computer or whatever, and then you can give online in that way. So that is all coming out in an email, and I'm not the person with all the details, but you can check it out if you would at our website. Sure appreciate that. 
The last thing that I want to call to our attention this morning as a church family is that we're really excited to welcome into our church family several new families, and we're going to do that in a kind of a online way. We're just going to put their pictures up. I'm going to mention them. We're going to welcome them to our church family. And then, Lord willing, as we all gather back together again, hopefully soon, we will actually have them stand up during the service and we'll recognize them at that point. But we wanted to let you know uh, that these folks have decided and committed to join with us and they've gone through our membership process. And so here they are. Uh, First of all, we want to welcome uh, Wesley and Jen and their family. And as well, seen in the picture in the pink sweater is Angelique Noel. And so all of them, we welcome to our church family. Secondly, we want to welcome Meshach and Yvonne and their family. And you can see their names. I'm sorry, gang, I'm not going to go through everybody's name right now, but you can see their names up on the screen if you'd like to see who it is. And thirdly, we'd like to recognize Mika and her family, and not all of them are pictured here, but we do want to recognize them as new members of the church. And lastly, Eric and Grace and their young family as well. And so we just welcome you to our church body. We're glad that you're joining with us and decide to fellowship with us, and we're grateful for the privilege of worshiping and serving the Lord together with you. As we get started in our service, I'm going to be going back into our study of Matthew, but I want to begin with prayer and set the tone. I know I need to pray, and so we'll set the stage with looking to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we start this service with a look into your word, we pray that you'd help us to be mindful uh, that it is your word that is living and active, uh, sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces asunder, dividing the soul and the spirit concerning the joint and the joints and the knowing the thoughts and the intents of our heart and we just thank you for that and i pray that your word would do its work in each of our hearts this morning uh, that you touch us that you would encourage us if we need encouragement you challenge us where we need challenged that you would minister to us in a way that only you can and so as we look into your word we pray that you would guide us that we would be sensitive to what you're trying to do And that most of all, Lord, that you would bring those who don't know Jesus into a relationship with you and those of us who know you, that you would deepen our walk with you, that we might be better salt and brighter light for the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's this dated parenting advice that says that children should be seen but not heard. Well, updated in the world's eyes is the same advice given to the children of God, that the children of God should be seen but not heard. And it goes like this, kind of. Go to church, have your meetings, but keep your religion to yourself. There's another version of that, which is that God's children should not be seen or heard. And that line of reasoning goes like this that Christians should live quietly and obscurely and just dutifully comply with whatever society decides to do. Just go along and get along. There's one more version of this in society, and that is that it's okay for Christians to be heard and not seen. So Christians can 
speak doctrinal truth, but just don't expect there to be any transformation in a person's life because we're not into that. Well, as we continue on in our study of Matthew, we find very interesting that Jesus has given us these grace-induced marks of kingdom saints, of believers that are revealed in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, which as our church has been going through Matthew, we've looked at previously. But these kingdom traits evidence in the lives of kingdom saints are given to us so that we will impact the world. They're not supposed to be held in check. We're supposed to make a difference in the world. In fact, Jesus is moving in Matthew chapter 5 from the, the, the character of the kingdom, the character that's evident in the lives of the kingdom saints, to now the, a long discourse on the conduct. In Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've seen these kingdom traits in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Now he's beginning and transitioning in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, to talk about the character that translates into conduct. Conduct. And what he says, first of all, is that in your conduct, Christians and the church of Jesus Christ is to be visible. We are to be both seen, and, and we see this reiterated by Paul in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 15. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul delineates for us that we are to live our lives in a way that the world sees it and they bring glory to God. But not just seen, we're supposed to be heard. And Peter kind of reiterates this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we're, we're a holy people, a chosen race, a, a people of God's own possession that we might proclaim. Why has God chosen us? Why has God called us? Why has God set us apart? So that we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to be seen and heard. God doesn't give us these kingdom traits and produce them within us to be silent, but he expects his church to be a compelling witness to the lost in the world. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles or you want to take your phone or your device or whatever and turn or get to Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and then we're going to look at two powerful word pictures in these verses that Jesus, in which Jesus uses to declare our identity and our responsibility to be the church visible, to be visible church in the world. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The first word picture is a declaration that we're the salt of the earth in verse 13. And there's two insights from this purpose are gained from this description. First of all, we see our identity as salt. Notice the you is the very first thing in the passage. It says you are the salt of the earth. Not that you might be, or that you could be, or that you can be, or that you will be. 
but that you are the salt. It's a present tense. If you're a child of God, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt in the ancient Near East, in the ancient world, was a very valuable substance. It was used for wages. It was used for securing covenants. It was used for seasoning and healing. But the most prominent use was as a preservative, as a preventative of decay. And the primary focus, I believe, in the text of Matthew chapter 5 is on this preservation, this preventative of further moral decay in society. It's primarily, not exclusively, but primarily a subtle influence that involves both our words and our deeds. Salt is really a metaphor for the life of those who are followers of Jesus, who incarnate, who flesh out the kingdom traits mentioned in verses 3 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5 that are used to retard the decay in, in our doing so. As we live out as the salt of the earth, we retard the decay, resist the disease, and we reverse the spiritual dullness of our corrupt society. You know, COVID-19 is a very contagious and, and deadly disease, but sin is a deadly virus that infects every human being without cure apart from God's work in the person and the work of Jesus. We are the salt, which means that believers are the only influence to restrict the spread and relieve the symptoms of the spiritual contagion of sin in our lives. Unfortunately, when it comes to sin, most of us are what, kind of a new term, but virus rebels. Some of you heard that on the news, that some people don't care about being contracting coronavirus, and they don't really care if they spread it. So they're called virus rebels. They're refusing the caution and resisting any kind of cure or tempering of it. Well, the Bible says that that's what we are as human beings with regard to the contagion of sin. Jesus said it in John chapter 3, or yeah, 3, verses 19 through 20. He says, this is the judgment that Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. No, I want you to stop there. Men love darkness rather than light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You see, as salt, in every sphere of our lives, in our home life, at work, in our neighborhood, whether it is that we're at school, which none of us are right now, or in our leisure activities, or as we're involved in our community, when we're salt, we reflect our obedience and submission to Christ. And when we do that, we expose the wickedness of world, and we are intended to mitigate, which means to minimize, this stench, the putrefaction, the decay that happens in the world because of sin. But not only that, the other subtle aspect and nuance of salt is that it not only mitigates the putrefaction, but it also marinates and makes savory the, the life of Christ in the world. It's not a pleasant story, but when I was a college student, I worked one summer for a farmer. And this farmer raised a lot of livestock, and so in a livestock operation, when you're uh, farrowing sows and having pigs and raising chickens, they're are a lot of animals that die. And so he had an incinerator, which is a big, huge tube 
that he had a burner on and the, the dead animals were placed in there and then they were incinerated. Well, it was the middle of July and the burner on the incinerator had gone out. It was on the fritz. It was broken. And so every day when I would gather the, the, the animals, I'd take them over to this. I'd raise the lid. And I'm telling you, the stench of the animals that were in there decaying was nauseating. And as I opened it, every day the pile of decaying flesh was moving more and more. It's a picture of the world's decay into sin apart from the presence, the mitigating presence, the marinating presence of believers in the world who restrain the natural tendency towards maggot-infested living, the unbridled immorality, decadence, Im greed, and deception that's so prevalent in our society. That's what we do as believers. We are the salt. We stop the decay. Being the salt always and especially now, like even under these emergency health conditions, uh, involves, has, has two phases to it. First of all, we're to exhibit righteousness in every arena of our lives, in every aspect of the li our lives that we're in. We're supposed to reflect and this righteousness and exhibit it. Husbands and wives, in our relationship with each other, humility and gentleness and mercy in loving relationship, what does it do? It cements our relationship together and keeps us married. It models Jesus to the world. And it fights against and resists the decay, the ever-increasing propensity of our culture towards divorce. I thought about single people. You know, singles, if you are a child of God and you're living for Christ and seeking to put on and, and to grow in humility and gentleness and mercy, and purity. You know what that does? You, your, your, your purity in relationships and your selflessness in ministry retards the spread of promiscuity and selfishness so prevalent in our culture and our society. Students, I know you're not at school now, but even now among your friends, I saw a picture where some kids are getting together. They, they park, uh, you know, in a circle, and then they all crawl in their trunk, and they sit there, and they talk to each other, you know. Uh, well, I guess they got social, uh, physical distancing, and they're still able to hang out, you know. Some people are doing Zoom games, you know. Get on Zoom, and a bunch of you get together and do games. Okay, that's cool. But as you as students, as you refuse to use vulgar language and crude innuendos and disrespectful comments, there's a tendency to restrain the spread of I'll just call it verbal influenza. It's kind of a, a verbal uh, sickness that spreads. And, and, and you will help create an environment of wholesome speech that might flourish. Workers, you know, you're working from home. If you're honest and you're given a full day's work and you have integrity, whether you're on the job at the office or whether you're at home, if you work hard, you refuse to complain, and you live with integrity, that tends to rein in. The, the whining and the laziness and the critical spirit and the judgmental attitudes of your, your fellow employees. It has a tempering effect on it. I wonder as neighbors, 
if we aren't more prone to complain and to criticize. But if we're salt, maybe we could be more complimentary and more caring. And if we did that, what would be the impact? It would mitigate other people. You know, if everybody's complaining, it's easy to complain. But if some of us start saying, you know, I'm going to find the positive, then it makes those who are complaining a little uncomfortable in just whining about stuff. I heard some of our leaders talking. We were having a meeting, and some of them were sharing how they had been reaching out to their neighbors, people in their neighborhood, asking how they're doing and what's happening in their lives in light of this pandemic, and do they need anything? That's the kind of salt that we need. That's the kind of living out the kingdom values that the church of Jesus Christ should do in order to mitigate the sinfulness, mitigate and, and temper it, but also to marinate. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus tastes like if you would taste him in your life. What about in the community? How are you when you happen to get out to the grocery store? As a follower of Jesus, are you knocking down the people in front of you to hopefully be the first one in line to get your roll of toilet paper or your antiseptic wipes? Or do we come in and greet the workers who are working hard with grace and mercy and kindness? Is our demeanor and our, wor our words kind and gentle, reflecting who Jesus is? Or are we the other people that they don't want to see coming? Maybe it's our gracious words that defend biblical morality as you're talking with your friends or maybe on the phone or in whatever context. Or a model of honesty that puts a check on the decay of our society into depravity. I thought about how we can be salt in the community. And I thought about some folks in our congregation that just really encouraged my heart. Because their saltiness their, their way of impacting the community does two things. It, it, the people that they minister to are seeing Jesus and drawn away from the world's propensity to sin, and they're also tasting what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. I'm going to give a shout-out to some people, and if I forget you, don't get offended. I'm not trying to play favorites here. But I'm thinking about Katie Markhart. And Jim and Nancy Fennessy and Marge McKeever and Rosie, they've been working with some of the refugees and ESL and homework helpers and just doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes to really encourage those who might feel alienated and ostracized and who are new to the culture. And I'm thinking, what a way to be salt in the world. And those who are working in Awanas, I think of Mary and Mark and all of the volunteers in Awanas, because so many of those students coming in are hearing the truth of God's Word, which is fighting against what they're hearing from their peers and their friends in the culture. And we can put a stop, or not stop, we don't ever stop sin, but we can slow it down. What an encouraging thing it is to see. I think about Bob and Debbie and Colin down and uh, Carlisle, who are working for Freedom for Youth. <laughs> what an encouragement. Those, now again, all those ministries are kind of on hold, but that doesn't mean that we've stopped serving those people. And as we do, again, presenting Christ helps to slow the spread of sin in the world. What about our own country? I thought about William Wilberforce. You know, William Wilberforce was a force in England because he fought to end slavery. And it was through his efforts, predominantly, that slavery stopped. And I thought, well, what about us? 
if we really believe what God says in Genesis 1, that all human beings are created in the image of God, then our reflection of prizing people's dignity at every stage of life should be a mitigating force against discrimination and racism. Should it not? Yeah, it should. What about our generosity? Can our generosity slow the spread of selfish greed? Maybe, maybe not. It should. It could. Every day we rub shoulders with people, and our salt is to exert an influence, an influence to be a gospel witness in deed and word. So we're supposed to exhibit righteousness. Secondly, we're supposed to expose wrong. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Let your speech be always with grace, as though seasoned with salt. Now there it is, seasoned with salt. There's the seasoning aspect. So it's not just the mitigation of sin, but here we see mitigation of sin, I think, as well as marinating, the savoriness of what it means to be in Jesus. And so we need to speak up sometimes. I think we need to tactfully, but according to Matthew 5, mournfully, as we see sin in the world, mournfully and humbly, denounce that the unborn are being assaulted, that immorality is being celebrated, that illegal activity is rewarded, and selfishness is defended. Even the world was decrying all of the people on spring break who were ignoring the warnings about the coronavirus and they were just out there partying and out there on the beach and not respecting anything and all of those people were exposing each other to the virus and then traveling back home to wherever home was and exposing other people. Lloyd-Jones assessment of his world is, is just as appropriate today and his society is just as appropriate as it is for us in America. He said the main trouble is that there are far too few Christians and that those who are Christians are not sufficiently salty. We've seen our identity and now very briefly at the end we see our responsibility. This is the last part of verse 13. It's the largest part of the verse but I'm going to spend the least amount of time there because Jesus is basically warning against being unsalty. If salt loses its salt, the only thing you can do is throw it out. You don't want to, it'll spoil the ground, so you just throw it out on the road and people can walk on it. That's what happens. And so the picture is of believers, followers of Christ, are supposed to exert this positive influence, not become saltless. We're not supposed to be good for nothing. And to be invigorating in our impact, we have to be virtuous. And to be virtuous means we need to be saturated with and spirit-led by in our application of the Word of God. So, we've got to spend time with the Word. We've got to spend time with each other. We need to spend time in prayer. And I know those are kind of like pat answers. That's like, well, I go to Sunday school and I know what I'm supposed to do. Read the Bible, pray, and do good works. Yep, that's pretty much it. Uh, If we spend time in the Word and let the Spirit of God change us and saturate our lives with it and let him lead us in the application of truth, then we won't become saltless. We're to be not only the salt, but we're to be the light. No. We aren't to be the light. We aren't to be the salt. We are the salt, and we are the light. Secondly, we are the light of the world. The metaphor reveals two factors that impact our influence. First of all, the same two factors as we saw with the salt. Our identity as light. Now, in the Bible, light here in this context carries the meaning of moral good. 
as opposed to the darkness or evil, okay? It's virtue, not vice. And God has revealed the light of his truth primarily to us and through us with the Word of God, which is the Scripture, and the incarnate Word, which is His Son. So from the Bible and from Jesus, we understand what the truth is. And that is what we're supposed to light the world with, is the truth. Now notice again, the you is emphatic. It's of believers, and it's true only for believers. Only believers are the salt only believers are the light. That should be encouraging to us. It's not just the most brilliant. It's not just the most educated. It's not just the most eloquent. It's not just the most refined or the most influential people who, believers, who are the light. We all are the light. You are the light. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6 and 49, verse 6, the, the nation of Israel is prophesied that they would be the light, and then there's a prophecy in Isaiah which actually finds its ultimate picture and fulfillment and points to the person of Jesus, who is the light. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. That's John chapter 8, verse 12. And all, everyone who comes to me, believes in me, will, shall not walk in darkness. Well, Jesus is as the Father is. We saw in our study of First John, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that in him is no, no darkness at all, okay? No darkness at all. So how can we be what Jesus is? The light. Jesus is the light. He says we are the light. Jesus and the Father in whom is no, no darkness at all. So how can we be what Jesus is? Well, the answer is the light which is in the Father and the Son is now by virtue of our union with Christ, by faith, in every believer as well. Because we are united with Christ by faith, we are the light, as Jesus is the light. See, Jesus is no longer on the earth. He's no longer here, shining the light personally. And so now he's invested us with that responsibility. We are the light of the world, shining for Jesus on the earth. Light has two functions, okay? And it's important, I think, to understand these as we consider and know ourselves as light of the world. First, light reveals what is in the darkness. Okay? So in every sphere of our lives, through our words and our work, believers living in obedience and submission to Jesus are to, are the, to shine the light. Okay? We expose the darkness. That's what we do. We illumine the darkness. We expose sin. When I was a boy, my parents took us to Mark Twain Cave. Now, Hannibal, Missouri, it was a warm summer day, and we were offered a jacket, and I took the jacket, and I went into this deep dungeon of darkness and cold. And we were there, and of course it's lit up, and you see a picture of it lit up, but they shut off the lights. And when they shut off the lights, you could see nothing. It was the darkest place I had ever been but then the tour guide had a little bitty flashlight and he turned the flashlight on boom and suddenly the littlest light expelled the darkness and exposed what was there the light of our lives 
exposes the darkness of sin in others. There's a problem there. When it does, most often or many times, it causes those people to feel uneasy and awkward. They don't like it. If we're living rightly and exposing what they're doing wrong, then all of a sudden they're angry at us and they're frustrated with us. They don't like it. It's awkward. Humility in our workplace. To actually own up to our sin and, and ask for forgiveness with our peers, our friends. If we're selfless in giving in our home and we're forgiving of our enemies, it exposes, it exposes and puts a spotlight on arrogance in people's lives. It puts a spotlight on their defensiveness, on their selfishness. It puts a spotlight on their hardness of their hearts. I'm going to go back to what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. I want you to look at these verses again. And Jesus said, this is the judgment that light has come into the, the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. Men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. See, our light brings people face to face with their darkness and rebellion and their destiny of being condemned apart from Christ. Who's going to warn them if we don't? Nobody. Nobody warns them if we don't warn them. Nobody except believers. The amazing thing is there is that when uh, God didn't stop there. He didn't say, okay, yeah, we're not just out there pointing our finger at people saying, aha, 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 you, you made it, you messed up. Because we've messed up too. The light just doesn't just reveal what's in the darkness. The light reveals the way out of the darkness. When they turned the light on in that cave, we could see where we should go. We could follow the path. And they turned all the lights on. We could see our way out of the darkness. Our, our, I have a, a little light that I keep in my backpack. I shine it. It's a headlamp. I'm not going to put it on right now because it looks kind of dorky. But uh, if I have to work up in my attic or if I have to go home after the sun has set and it's dark outside, I put my headlamp on and I walk home or I ride my bike home. I can see the way. We are, as believers, the ones who point the way. Mankind is in the dark. But mankind denies that he's in the dark, doesn't want to believe that they're in the dark. In fact, what we do as human beings is we try to rationalize, we try to use information, we try to use collaboration, we try to use philosophies to solve the problems of society and the culture. And, what, and when we do that, we refuse to accept that the real cause of the problem, the real cause of our separation from God and the, is, is our separation from God. That's the real problem. Our calling as God's children is to show people with our good works and the good news of the gospel, the real solution for man's sinful condition is that we need to be reconciled to God. The reason we're having so many problems, the reason you can't have peace in the world is because people are not naturally peaceful. We're naturally selfish. The reason you have greed and deception and corruption and immorality is because that's by nature who we are. And our calling as God's children is to lead them to realize that we need to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. If one of us had the cure for COVID-19, 
we certainly wouldn't keep it silent. Every child of God has the cure for mankind's sinful condition and separation from God. We are rebellious people. That's what the Bible says. Prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. He has caused, God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon Jesus. We're all sinful, and because we're sinful, we're separated from God and deserve His judgment. But God, in His mercy, sent Jesus, who died on the cross, in our place. And God demonstrated His love towards us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we would acknowledge our sinfulness and our separation and our deserving of judgment, and that Jesus died for us, and turn from our sin and trust in Christ, then we'd be delivered. We would believe and that we would not walk in darkness, but have the light of life, which is eternal life. I wonder this morning, have you discovered the way out of the spiritual darkness by trusting in Christ? If you have, praise God. You are the light to others. We are the ones who are to shine the light, to be the salt and be the light so that others can find their way out of it too. And if you haven't, my challenge to you is to put your faith or your trust in what Jesus did. And your sins will be forgiven. and The Spirit of God will come to live within you. Your life will begin to be transformed as you submit and surrender your will and your way to Him. And you will possess those kingdom traits that we talked about in Matthew 5. That there will be a poverty of spirit. And there will be mournfulness over sin. And there will be gentleness. A hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Mercy towards other people. Purity of heart and becoming peacemakers. All those things will become part of who we are. Then there's our responsibility. We see our identity. Then our responsibility is light. And there's two aspects of our responsibility to grasp. First of all, We're supposed to be visible. If you look at verse 14, to the end of verse 14, he says, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The obvious property of light is that it shines. So if we are the light, we are to shine. There's no such thing as a secret believer. In Budapest, on the Buddha side of the Danube River, is the castle district. And the castle district at night is, is lit up so that everyone can see. And it's up on a hill. <laughs> you can't miss it. It's there to be seen. And Jesus says, if you're a believer, you are that city set on a hill. You are to be seen. We are to be seen as God's people. Similarly, as God's Spirit works in His children, the kingdom traits cannot be hidden. We have some friends Ken DeYoung and Conwell Larson are shining the light, exposing the darkness of sin and pointing people to Jesus in the country of Haiti. Those who have served in Haiti on our, from our own church on the short-term mission team have shined the light of, of Christ and exposed the darkness, not only revealing the sin but also pointing the way out of the darkness through Jesus. That's what every believer's calling is. We don't have to go to another country to do it. We're supposed to do it as we live our lives. In verse 14, the light cannot be hidden. In verse 15, the text says the light should not be hidden. We don't, now, we don't light lamps, okay, usually, unless we're 
out in the woods and we light a, light a lamp that is not a battery operated lamp. We have electricity, but in those days they didn't. They had a wick and they had oil and they would light the lamp and nobody lit a lamp and then hid it under a bushel. You light a lamp so it can be seen. It's not supposed to be hidden, neither should there be any attempt by us as believers to cover it up that we're a Christian or to disguise ourselves or mask the fact that we're a Christian. We shouldn't live in shame. No. Compromise or conformity to the world or complacency in our concern for others, that's not what we're to be as God's children. That's not who we are as God's children. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, was, which is basically an exposition of these verses in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 12, and actually on into verses 13 through 16, I think, but verses 3 through 12, he says this, Flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to, be, ceased to follow him. Wow. We're supposed to be visible, okay? We are to be intentional. You know, intentional in our practice. Verse 16. He says, let your light shine. Okay, that's it. Let your light shine. Do it. Shine. You know, you know the song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. So we're supposed to let our light shine in every facet of our life. As individual believers, as part of the universal body of Christ. Through our good works. And our good words. You know, we've said in, in the church, not unique to us, we're supposed to do good works, to build goodwill so we can share good news. Well, we do the good works, we're the salt and we're the light, and we share good news. Salt and we're the light. We're supposed to intentionally practice it, living out our character, reflecting the mind and the heart of Christ. In February, before we had all this lockdown stuff, I went to the caucus, and I went to our caucus site. And I was at our caucus site, and after about an hour, the caucus was ending, and one gentleman stood up in the caucus, and he said, I was wondering if anyone here would mind if I just kind of closed our time in prayer. And I was like, wow, that's cool. I wish I'd have thought of that. And people said, yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. And so he led the whole caucus site in a closing prayer. He was being salt. He was being light. He was showing the light of Christ to the people. That's what Jesus calls us to do, is to be the salt and light. It's for a purpose. It's intentional in our practice. We're intentional on purpose. Notice the end of verse 13. He says, Let your light shine before men that they might see your good works, And give you credit. And put your name on a banner. And celebrate your reflection of Jesus. No. They might glorify God. I wonder if that's what our heart is. That we put into practice and proclamation our relationship with God. That we do it in such a way and for the reason that Jesus would get the glory. Believers... If you're here and listening to this and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just a question or two. How salty am I? Is my life salt, the earth, 
in a way that mitigates the onslaught of sin, that marinates the lives of others with the savory flavor of who Jesus is? Is my light shining brightly? I'm just going to give you a, a, three suggestions that I'm trying to work into my own life that I think will help me improve as salt and light. First of all, pray. Let's pray to be better salt and brighter light. Several years ago, I was riding my bicycle out of, out of town where we lived on a county blacktop. And it was a little bit foggy in town, but what most of us don't realize is that because there are reference points in town, it's not nearly, doesn't seem as foggy. And as I drove out of town or rode out of town on my bicycle, it became intensely foggy. And in that part of the play, state where I was living, there were semis and trucks driving around, and I was out on the road. They didn't have designated lanes for bicycles. It was like share the road. Well, you try sharing the road with an 18-wheeler in the fog when you're on a two-wheel bicycle that weighs about six pounds. I had my light, my flashing light on the back of my bicycle was on, and I was praying intensely that people would see my light. I don't know about you, but uh, I haven't prayed as diligently and sincerely that the light of Christ would be seen through me. That people would see that I am poor in spirit. That I'm a humble person. That they would see that that I, I mourn, that I grieve over my sin and the sin in the culture, that I am a gentle person, that I am one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, that I desire to extend and show mercy that's been shown to me, that I am pure in heart and that I am a peacemaker and that I am content in praying for those who are persecuting me and praising God when I'm persecuted. No, I need to pray more that I would be better salt and brighter light. Secondly, pursue being better salt and brighter light. I mean, spend time reading over the Beatitudes and spend time in Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. And then as you coordinate reading with praying, then let's ask God to put them into our lives. And as the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and now as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, put on. That's a conscious choice to live out these things in our lives. And finally, let's practice being better salt and better light. I heard a story, or I read a story about Woodrow Wilson, former president of the United States. He went into a barber shop, and when he was in the barber chair, uh, another man came into the barber shop and sat down in another barber's chair, and that man was carrying on a conversation with his barber. And as he began to listen in, Woodrow Wilson said the man in the other chair was asking very personal questions and very pointed questions and sharing his life and, uh, in a way that was very endearing, deep personal interest in the other man. And Wilson said that when, he, when, when that man left, Wilson said, I felt like I had experienced an evangelistic service because the man in the other chair was D.L. Moody. He said, I felt that I had that left that place that I had left a place of worship. <laughs> I'm not sure that anybody's ever said that after I left, that they felt like they had left a place of worship when I was in the barber's chair, but then you, most of you can see it's been a while since I've been in the barber's chair. 
but I don't have to worry about that too much. But as I'm in the grocery store or in the dentist's office or at the doctor or wherever it is I'm at, people see that in you and me. Do others see the reflection of Jesus in us? Yeah, I thought about Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, you know, after, after he was thrown into the lion's den, then the king comes and he says, Daniel, has the God whom you worship delivered you? You see, the king knew that Daniel was faithful to God because Daniel was salt and Daniel was light and he wasn't willing to compromise. He was willing to die if that was necessary for him. And I pray that we would be that salt and light. D.A. Carson summarizes, he says, the, the, the kingdom norms, those in verses 3 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5, so work out in the lives of kingdom heirs as to produce the kingdom witness. And that's what it means to be salt and light. And if you're here this morning listening in and you don't know Jesus, you've never trusted in Christ, my challenge for you is that the way out of the darkness is through Jesus. I invite you to turn from the futility of living in the darkness to trust in Christ. You know, Jesus came into the world lighting the way out of the darkness of separation from God. And the sinless Son of God died on the cross his body was broken and his blood shed so that all who would believe in him should not walk in darkness but have the light of life. He died for us that we might live for him. And as we close our service by breaking bread and taking the cup, we remember and we rejoice in what he did for us that gives us this title of salt and this title of light and the privilege of helping to mitigate sin and marinate the world with the light and the life of Jesus and show people their darkness and show them the way out of the darkness. I invite you this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to join us as we break bread together and as we drink the cup. If you have the bread, I'd invite you to take your bread this morning. And I'll just remind you that when Jesus was gathered with his disciples in the, in the upper room, he, he took the bread, and when he had blessed it, he, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. If you're with us this morning and joining us, I'd invite you to take your bread now and to, to eat. The scripture says that in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I just want to thank you for joining us this morning and I'm going to close our time in prayer. And If you have any questions about what's been said or concerns or issues that you would like us to encourage you with, just please feel free to contact us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. I pray that your spirit would work to bring those who don't know Christ to a deep, to understand their need for you, to see the way out of the darkness, the futility of walking in it. And those of us who have put our trust in you, I pray that we would walk in the light and that we would be the salt that you've made us to be, that we would be the light you've called us to be. 
that you'd use us for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. For we pray it in Jesus' name.